Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market. And also by PolicyPack Software and Goliath Technologies, who both introduced some exciting new features to their products this week, and I'll cover that in the news. And now with no further ado... Let's get on to some news. It was quite the week in the InfoSec community with multiple high-profile attacks and data leaks. Perhaps the most notable occurred at the end of last week with Garmin's smartwatch users reporting that their activity data was no longer syncing. As it turned out, Garmin was attacked with ransomware and over the weekend reports were suggesting they were in real dire straits. The ransom requested was $10 million and apparently the consequences for Garmin included possibly losing the entire Garmin Connect fitness software plus systems and rebuilding the code from scratch. As of Sunday, Garmin got the service back up and running but with limited functionality. Garmin of course are a company who do a lot more than just smartwatches. They are also prominent for GPS software and hardware used in cars and airplanes too. There were suggestions early on of some issues with their aviation products, but those appeared to be quickly resolved. At the time of this recording, it's unclear whether or not they paid the ransom. Some reports are suggesting that they did and have acquired the decryption key. Hopefully by next week's episode, there will be more clarity as they are set to have an earnings call in which I'm sure they'll need to disclose some information for investors. And keeping with that theme, this week there was also some reports of universities around the world reaching out to students and alumni about a data breach tied to a ransomware attack on BlackBod back in May. In that event, the company who makes a CRM-like product popular with academia paid the ransom. Unfortunately, whilst carrying out the ransomware attack, the attack also stole data too. At least 20 universities from around the world, including my local university, NUIG, have acknowledged their students' data was compromised. I saw security expert Troy Hunt was pretty critical of BlackBot's handling of this attack. He did not say this, but I have heard experts before say it's naive to pay the ransom at all, let alone pay the ransom and expect that everything's just going to go back to normal again. If you show that you are willing to pay a ransom, that makes you an even bigger target for future attacks. There was a really interesting article pertaining to ransomware attacks on sports clubs and organizations. One of the stories was related to the managing director of a Premier League soccer team in the UK getting hit with a fake Office 365 portal. They took his credentials and then even sent emails back and forth with another club about the transfer deal for one of the club's players. They worked out a transfer fee and sent bank account details to receive the transfer sum, but luckily the bank detected it and flagged it as fraud so the attacker was unsuccessful in that case. Another soccer team in the UK had their security system attacked including locking the turnstiles at the entrance of the stadium, which would have prevented supporters from getting in. The club could have potentially lost hundreds of thousands or alternatively paid the ransom of £300,000 which was being asked for, 
but luckily in that case, they did not pay the ransom and managed to restore access themselves. There are other examples in this article by ZDNet that include things like horse racing and other sports too. I suggest you check out the article for more. It's really, really interesting. And I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 135. And you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. This week, it was also reported that Google will be allowing most employees to work from home until July 2021. They decided to tell the employees that now, well ahead of time, to allow them time to plan long term, which I think is pretty smart. And also related to work from home, Fortune 500 company Siemens announced that they will be allowing some remote work permanently, even post-COVID. They intend to let people work remote for two to three days a week. Interestingly, that's not the only change. Inc.com highlighted part of their statement, and it goes, quote, The basis for this forward-looking working model is further development of our corporate culture. These changes will also be associated with a different leadership style, one that focuses on outcomes rather than on time spent at the office. We trust our employees and empower them to shape their work themselves so that they can achieve the best possible results. With the new way of working, we're motivating our employees while improving the company's performance capabilities and sharpening Siemens' profile as a flexible and attractive employer. End quote. This seems to be key. More and more I'm hearing managers claiming they lack visibility of what their teams are doing since they can't physically see them in the office anymore. They want to be able to see when they log in, log off, and when they go idle. Personally, I think that's stupid and that the results should be what matters. It's encouraging that such a large company like Siemens are taking that approach and hopefully others will follow. There was a really interesting issue toward the end of this week with Microsoft's new Edge browser. On Thursday night, people started reporting that the browser started to crash when they tried to type into the address bar. It would turn out that this was only happening for some users who had Google set as their default search engine. This issue started happening right as I recorded the audio for this episode, and there was no root cause provided by Microsoft at this time. Users could stop the crashing by switching to Bing as their search engine. But the issue was also resolved relatively quickly too, so having Google as your search engine of choice is no longer a problem. It'll be interesting to see if a root cause is ever provided. Techzine.eu have reported this week that Intel's 7NM process node is six months behind schedule. This means that the first processors that will use the 7NM node are expected to arrive at the end of 2022 or perhaps even early 2023. The report suggests that Intel may now need to look for other parties to produce chiplets for its 7NM process nodes. Intel's 10NM node also suffered years of delays because of problems at the factory. It said that the delay in this case is a defect in the manufacturing process, so it's not actually related to COVID, or at least that's what's being claimed. One of my favorite products, AppV Scheduler, has been completely redeveloped and released as AppVentix version 3.0. The naming change makes sense as the product no longer only supports AppV app deployments. 
It can now do AppV, MSIX, and even MSIX AppAttach, which Microsoft still has in preview. The console user interface has been upgraded, as has the agent with some significant performance improvements. Personally, I can't wait to try this out. If you deploy applications to virtual desktops and to shared session hosts, I really suggest you check out this product. It is a killer app to have at your disposal. Version 1.2.1186 of the WVD client has been released which adds additional information to subscription error messages to improve troubleshooting. They collapse or expand the state of workspaces is now preserved during a refresh. They've added a send diagnostics and close button to the connection information dialog and fixed an issue with the control plus shift keys in remote sessions. But by far the biggest change in my opinion is that you can now be subscribed to workspaces with multiple user accounts so if you check out the YouTube edition of this episode, you'll see what I mean. But essentially, you could log into multiple different workspaces and get applications from, say, multiple tenants or desktops from multiple tenants through your portal. That could become very important to a lot of cloud service providers and probably some organizations too. At the top of the show, I said that Policy Pack software had some exciting new features, and I wasn't lying. So first, Microsoft Teams has been added to their extensive pre-canned app settings options in the product. It's the easy button for doing things like setting auto start application, open and background settings, on close keep the application running setting, register Teams as a chat app, and other various settings for Teams too. Policy Pack Software also just launched a cool new feature called RDP Manager. It's an intuitive GUI, just like the RDP Connection Manager GUI, that lets you create, replace, update, and delete RDP files, plus keep users' RDP files up to date as your needs change. You can specify which RDP files should go on the machines based upon conditions. By using Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or your MDM system, you can just click and get the RDP file you need without copying files or creating scripts. There's also the huge new feature, Policy Pack Triggers, in Policy Pack Scripts Manager. This feature provides you with an incredible power. You can set up your scripts, be they BAT scripts, VB scripts, PowerShell, or JavaScript, etc., to run on a trigger event such as login, process start, process close, session lock, session unlock, and shutdown. This could have countless uses like mapping and unmapping printers based on conditions, similarly either mapping or not mapping network drives based on conditions, maybe copying down some app settings on app launch. You know, the world is your oyster. Pretty much if you can think it up and script it, this could be the engine for executing those scripts when you need them. Another sponsor of the show, Goliath Technologies, also released a managed service offering that continually tests application availability from remote locations to confirm availability of Citrix or VMware Horizon and the supporting delivery infrastructure. The service proactively alerts IT pros if an application is down or slow so issues can be resolved before end users are impacted. So that's obviously a common challenge, particularly in those Citrix and Horizon environments, like say when... Even if the connection is still up, but your ISP needs to redirect traffic and all of a sudden it's taking a longer route and there's more steps involved, it can hurt performance. 
and you're just left wondering like why are my users saying Citrix is slow? Is it really Citrix? Is it ever Citrix? You could look at this data and see that there's a change and investigate your external to internal traffic and get to the bottom of it. VMware announced a new continuous beta model. In this model, new builds and features will be posted to the community over time. The goal of the program is to deliver new features and functionality that are not tied to a specific release. And as such, if you're in the program, you may find yourself testing features that you'll see in an upcoming release, releases much further down the road, or features that simply might never make the cut to be released. So if you've been in the Windows Insider program, for example, you'll have experienced that over the last few years, like they added the tab option directly into PowerShell, but then that never came to be. They instead released Windows Terminal. So you could expect seeing some similar development in process or underway when you're in this continuous beta program. And it's pretty cool too. If you have a work lab, this could be probably a good way of keeping yourself in the loop and skilled up on the latest releases even before they come. So last week I was interested to understand how most people managing non-persistent virtual desktops handle managing OneNote and particularly the OneNote cache. I posted a poll on my Twitter, which is at Rory Mon. Over 120 people responded and by far the most popular option with close to 70% of the vote was FSLogix, which is not surprising. FSLogix has a OneNote specific setting to ensure it's included in the profile container. The next most popular was publishing the web app only. Now I have been toying with this idea myself, just wrapping it as a browser container tailored to just OneNote. That way there's no need for a local cache as it's going right to the cloud. After that was other. Most people selected other, commented and said they are using things like Citrix app layering user layers, app volumes writable layers, Avanti and more. A very small percentage of people were using symbolic links and essentially redirecting the writing of the cache to like a user home drive or such. Thanks to everyone who voted in the poll. This is really good information and it's going to help me in my day job. So I appreciate it. And to wrap up this week's news, I'd just like to give a congratulations to John Murphy for winning this year's Fantasy Premier League competition. He has chosen a brand new Liverpool jersey as his prize, which I believe he's going to be gifting to a family member. So good on you, John. The competition has run for the last three years, and we now have had two Liverpool jerseys given away and one Manchester United. So 2-1 to Liverpool. There was also a really great showing by Michel De Witt, who came in second, missing out by just a single point. He was also very classy, and if you're watching the YouTube version of this episode, you'll see that he changed his team name to Congratulations John Murphy when he won by just a point. Thanks to everyone who entered the competition. I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to set one up for the coming season. I think I will. I just need to find the time um, with this COVID work from home stuff. Just this year, the last few months have been crazy, but I hope I get around to it because it'd be cool to keep it consistent and keep it going and i'll share that if i do create another competition this season on this podcast so stay tuned for that and now a weekly webinar this week's upcoming webinar is from thin scale technology 
who will be giving a technical run-through of their access policy feature that was released in 6.2 of Secure Remote Worker and Thin Kiosk. They say the new edition came directly from customer feedback and requests, and on the webinar you will learn how it can benefit your environment. They intend to go through what the new access policy feature does, why it's beneficial for the IT team and employers, a demonstration of the access policy featured, and a Q&A at the end. If you're a system administrator or engineer, an IT manager or project manager, this could be really interesting to you. It's a relatively short webinar too, and it's going to be held on the 5th of August, and it's only going to be 30 minutes long running from 11 a.m. Eastern, which is 4 p.m. BST or IST, I believe. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. First up is the Run as User PowerShell module, which allows you to execute scripts under the current user while running as system using impersonation. This script is by Kelvin Tegelar, and I've actually been using something similar only I was leveraging PSExec in a previous lifetime. I used to test my applications after packaging but before deployment and I would run the install as system and do a multi-user test just to make sure the installation and the testing of the application were successful. I wanted to run it as system because that's how it was going to be deployed. But this also has multiple other uses too because some services and other applications do execute some processes in that system context. So this is one you'll want to keep in your tool belt. And Aaron Parker shared a really simple tip that was covered on last week's episode actually but deserves repeating. Aaron tweeted simply, stop allowing VPN connections into your corporate network, especially from untrusted devices. He actually did it with the uh, clapping emoji between each word, but I don't think clapping will be very kind on your ears with this crappy mic that I use. And finally, if you use Citrix WEM version 2006, you can now import group policies into WEM. There's a new tab available labeled Administrative Templates in the Actions group. There you can quickly import your group policy backup from the Group Policy Management Console. And once imported, all the GPOs will be enumerated, enabling admins to deploy them to users or user groups associated with the WEM environment. So this is something that's pretty cool and maybe it's a long time coming. It'd be nice to be able to move more and more out of group policy and into WEM. Of course, WEM cannot handle all group policies, so you're still going to rely on group policy, but it's nice to have the option. And that's it for another week. I want to thank you all so much for listening.